0: Our scripture today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, men of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good, fight, of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our lord jesus christ which he will bring which he will bring about at the right time he who is blessed and only sovereign the king of kings and lord of lords it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who are in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Godliness with contentment. Who's got that? You got that figured out? Godliness with contentment. Who wants that? Ah, that's and now we're getting somewhere. We all want that, right? Godliness with contentment. Godliness is the easy part I think of the scripture in terms of helping us to begin because we all know godliness has to do with being godlike, to being god-centered, to be all about God. It this is the easier part because we know what godliness looks like. It is not a process, it is not a A system it is a being in Christ and wanting to be more like Christ it is to be in Jesus and to abide in him Jesus Christ is the mystery of godliness the closer we draw to Christ the more we are Christ like godliness is knowing who we are in Christ and abiding in Him in such a way that we can seek to become the person that God is calling us to be. God transforms us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what godliness is about. Seeking to be more like Jesus and abiding in Him. Contentment is a little more complicated Because the Greek word for contentment in the scripture actually means self-sufficiency or independence. How many of you are self-sufficient? Anybody self-sufficient? How about independent? We like that one. People are independent. People describe themselves as independent all the time, right? I'm very independent. Well, I'm neither. Neither self-sufficient, Or independent I need my family every day they can tell you I need my church every day I need Eleanor every day (laughs) there's a lot of things I need every day I am not self-sufficient she'll tell you I'm not self-sufficient and I'm definitely not independent The Greek Stoics were fascinated with the idea of being able to be self-sustaining and independent to the point that you didn't need anybody or anything else. You know, you basically didn't need anything, and, and, and you were almost your own island in their view. The Greek Stoics wanted you to be detached from all material things, from all people, you know, and be able to be somewhere in a cloud, I guess, floating, thinking about stuff. In their view, it almost sounded like you needed to be independently wealthy and live in your own little castle by yourself to have it made. But Paul doesn't use the word contentment in the same way that the Greek Stoics understood it. Paul speaks of This word, contentment, in a way that applies to our Christian life. He knew that as Christians, you and I are going to seek opportunities to better ourselves, to get better jobs, to seek degrees, to accomplish things that we set ourselves out to do. He understood that it was okay for us to seek these opportunities, and the Bible certainly says that those who work are worthy of their hire. But every time we look at the Christian life and we look at how we're supposed to pursue those things, the Bible holds clear that there are two big caveats to our pursuit. We cannot do these things because of greed. And we cannot do these things unless we are at the same time pursuing the will of God in our lives. Because you see, what happens when we see a great opportunity and we don't bring it before God and we just jump at it is that we are not including God in the conversation we're not asking God is that, if that is the place where God wants us or where God will bless us or where God will grow us. We're not asking God if this is the direction that he wants for our lives. And so when we jump at those things as Christians, we're looking our own, for our own self-satisfaction and we're not seeking what God wants for us. So what are we to make about contentment Well, for Paul, it is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that God is in control. It is an understanding that he is the one who made all things and in him all things are held together. It means having our focus on the kingdom of God and not on money or things that we might attain in this life. Contentment is a Christian grace that grows over time. It doesn't get dropped in your lap one day and all of a sudden you are content. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians, I have learned to be content. So for him, contentment did not happen as a boom. I, I know Jesus now and I am content. It came as an experience That he learned through hardship, through difficulties, through sufferings, through beatings, through imprisonments, through shipwrecks. Through all of those things, through having much and having little. He learned contentment in the Lord. He learned that God would take care of him even in the most difficult of circumstances. Now, it is so sobering sobering to realize in this scripture that we come into this world with nothing and we will leave with nothing. You know, we come into this world naked. And if it wasn't for our family members dressing us, we'd leave naked too. Because the reality is we can't take anything with us. At least none of the material stuff that we try to accumulate and build up in this life. So in the scripture, Paul tells us, be happy with food and clothing and your basic needs being met, and find contentment in those. But the reality is we usually aren't content in those. If we reduced our lives to the basic needs and eliminated everything else, we would want more. We would want more. We, we live in America where it's get the biggest pile and the biggest house and the best car and the best everything and the most titles. And it's all about what, about what we can attain and build up and have for ourselves. We want more and more and more. And Paul was worried that as Christians, we would fall into the temptation of wanting to be rich because it is tempting it is very tempting who wouldn't want to not have to worry about money who wouldn't want to just know that you have so much money you don't you can do whatever you want because you don't have any concern about running out so what's the harm in wanting to be rich The fact that it traps us in an endless cycle of dissatisfaction and greed. Did you know that many of the richest people in the world are the people that are the most miserable? Have you heard the stories of people winning the lottery and completely imploding in their lives? It's not by coincidence. The more we have, the more we spend, the more we spend, the more we want. And before you know it, we are living beyond our means and it has plunged us into ruin and destruction, which is what Paul says. If you don't believe it, after you leave here today, go by the gas station or the grocery store and look at the line of people buying lottery tickets. And they, they'll say that they're doing it for the children to provide an education. But we all know they're hoping they'll win the lottery. Or look at how many people live their lives so far beyond their means that they're up to their ears in debt. And they're having to work two and three jobs just to keep afloat every single month. Paul explains that when we fall in love with money and possessions, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, when we do that, we begin to compromise our Christian faith. We begin to compromise our Christian faith. Sometimes people assume that, hey, you have to have money to love money, but that couldn't be further from the truth. You can have very little money and hoard it and not trust God with it, and not give anything to the kingdom of God because you're afraid of running out and live out of a mentality of scarcity where it's always, I never have enough, I never have enough. And you have just made money central in your life and not trusted God to be the supplier of your need. If you have income of any type and you don't give a portion to God regularly, You have to ask yourself, do I love God more than I love my money? Do I love God more than I love my possessions? Do I love God enough to trust that if I give him out of all he has given me, he will supply what is needed? You know, giving to God is an act of faith. When we give to God, we're saying, you are enough. To supply my need. And I trust you with my life. The scripture tells us that when we love God, we honor him with the first fruits. We worship him with our whole life. We trust him to be the provider and sustainer and good father that we sing, he is all the time. Like Paul, I can say, I have known what it is to have much and what it is to have little. Most of us have gone through times of having little and having much. If we went around the room, there would be stories of when you didn't know how you were gonna make the month. When you didn't know how you were gonna pay the bills. When you didn't know how you were gonna put your kids through college if you put them through college. When you didn't know how you were gonna take care of certain things. Paul learned that even in those times when he didn't know how to do it, God knew how to do it. He learned that God had a way where there wasn't a way to accomplish it. And he wanted to make sure that each one of us remained faithful in whatever God had given us. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. How would our lives as adults be different if we applied that and we didn't pitch a fit when we didn't have and we were willing to give God the glory for what we do have? Now, I have personally witnessed people that have walked away from the faith pursuing riches. They made their job, their God, they made their possessions their God, they made their house their God, they made their car their God, they make their title their God, they make all kinds of things their God, their first priority, and they put God in the back burner and say, God, I'll get back to you once I have X, Y, or Z. And the trap of the enemy has been set and sprung. Because you know what happens when you get X, Y, or Z? The enemy tells you, you really need A, B, and C as well. You might as well go after that. And so we tell God, God, you can go in the back burner, and before you know it, God's not even on the stove. We've put him in the cupboard. He's not even in the stove anymore. We've just pushed him out because we're too busy pursuing that which we think is going to make us happy How many times have we said that if I just have this, I'm going to be happy? And the scripture teaches us that if we have Christ, we already have joy, which is better than happiness. If you seek riches at all costs, you will compromise your faith. You will compromise your walk in Christ. You will even compromise your values and your integrity because you will do anything To obtain that which you're seeking. You see, greed corrupts the soul. And it changes our priorities. And when we seek riches as our main goal in life, the reality is that pride has gotten a hold of us. Because pride is the one that says, You really deserve the 84-inch TV. Why are you settling for the 55? Pride is the one that says, no, 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 you need a six-bedroom house, even though you really need a four-bedroom house. Pride is the one that always tells you to go for more because you, quote-unquote, deserve more instead of being satisfied with what God has given you. And when the main goal of life is to supply that greed and to follow it, then we begin to let go of that which is really eternal and important. So what are we to do? Because Paul is not against us having possessions. What he is saying is that we can't love those possessions more than we love God. And we can't put those ahead of our service to God. And we can't put that ahead of our faithfulness to God. So Paul tells us it's not that you, don't, you can't have stuff. It's that you need to keep your priorities straight. You need to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. All the things that have eternal value in the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, you can't go to the store and say, hey, you know, I'm really low on faith." Give me a pound of faith, and I'll take a side of gentleness, and, uh, you know, while we're at it, just throw in some humbleness there for me, because I've been a little prideful this month. You can't buy these things. You can't even achieve these things on your own. These are gifts from God when we pursue Christ as the first and most important thing in our lives. You know, the word pursue always brings me back to my younger years because when I heard the word pursue, I always thought about relationship. You know, he's pursuing her or she's pursuing him. And you know what happens when somebody's pursuing somebody else? They dress a little better. They put a little bit more perfume on. They speak more eloquently and more graciously. They do everything. Their behavior changes because of what they're pursuing. And what Paul was saying is when you are pursuing Christ, your life will have all of these things, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, godliness, righteousness, because you will be living for Christ. And you will be a witness to others. They're going to be like, What's up with you? Didn't that person just do something terrible to you and you you can show them grace and mercy and forgiveness? You know, all these things that he mentions are just a gift that really comes from God the Father in Jesus Christ. And Paul wants you and I to be seeking these things in our lives by pursuing Jesus. He wants us to pursue this more than we pursue earthly things like new cars, new jobs, new opportunities, new degrees, new achievements, and new milestones. He wants us to really seek God with the fullness of our lives. Pursue is such a strong word that Paul takes it a step further, and he says, you know what? Fight! the good fight of the faith. And if you've ever seen people fighting over a girl, not to the punches, but really pursuing the same girl, you know what he's talking about. He says, really go after it. Really give it your best. Really go all out. Really continue to fight the good fight of faith because your life is this important in Christ. Pursue Christ like you did your spouse or like you have other things in your life knowing that he is the best thing you can have. In Paul's exhortation to Timothy, he invites him to this good fight of faith to take hold of the eternal life to which he has been called and to make a confession in the presence of many witnesses that he believes and pursues Christ with his total life. That's a challenge that he is ushering, not just for Timothy, but for you and I today. He is inviting us to pursue Christ to the point that we're willing to lay down our lives to serve him. My kids don't like to hear this, but I often tell them, I'm ready to go if God calls me today. My wife doesn't like it either. She says I'm not allowed to go and leave her with three children. But I say that not in jest but in real because I think we have to be willing to let go of this life at any point. That we need to be willing to lay it down all before Jesus. And to be able to acknowledge that all really belongs to him and that he is so gracious that he allows us to have it in our lives. And that means that we have to tell Jesus, if you ever need anything you've given me, place it in my heart and help me be faithful and give it to you. That is challenging, but that is what Jesus is calling us to When Paul says that we need to be crucified with Christ so that we can be raised with Christ again, I think he means we have to crucify even those desires of wanting more for ourselves so that Christ can live in us and we can live in him. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after in life? Is it righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness? Are these the things that drive you to go through your days? Because if they are, they'll be less complaining and more praising. If they are, they'll be a closer walk with Jesus, not a further away walk with Jesus. If they are, you will set a time apart to be intimate with God in your life because he is important to you. If we're married and we never spend time with the one we love, what does that say about our relationship? If we say we love God and we don't make time for prayer, for reading our Scripture for listening to the Lord as we heard the band invite us to do, then what kind of love do we really have for Jesus? Now, Paul knew that some people would take the scripture and go to the extreme and say, well, I guess Christians can't be rich. He gives us a few verses at the end to explain that it's not about not being rich or being rich. It's about what you do with what God has given you and your attitude towards those things? Do you praise the one who has blessed you or do you praise the blessing? Do you serve the one who has provided for your needs or do you praise yourself for being such a great provider for your home? Do you praise God in all things, not in some things, in all things, Because your life is completely wrapped up in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is he your king? Is he your Lord? And is he in charge of your life? If he is not, it's time to pursue righteousness and love and faith and gentleness. Not because we want to attain heaven, Heaven has already been promised to us through faith in Christ. But because we want to live lives that bring glory to God and show the world that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, if you are rich, more power to you. Be a blessing to others, be generous. Continue to use that to build the kingdom of God. And don't ever forget that God is your supplier. You are not independently wealthy. You are wealthy because God has blessed you. And riches are fleeting. You could have it today, and it could be gone tomorrow. But Jesus is always there. Jesus never fails. Jesus is always victorious. As we open the altar today, I want you to lay down those things that you're pursuing that have taken the place of God. Anything in your life that has steered you away from that closeness or that relationship. It could be something very good like family or career. And it could be something as obvious as just greed of wanting more for yourself. But whatever it is that has tried to put distance between you and Jesus, I want you to come to the altar and just lay it before the Lord. And let him be number one. And say, Lord, if you want these things for me, may it be your will, not my own. And trust him to supply your need. God will not leave us orphan. He will not disappoint. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you because you challenge us to pursue you, to seek you in our lives in more ways than we can count to make you the first, second, and third in our lives. We ask you, O Lord, on this day that we will pursue you with everything that we are, with everything that we have, with everything that we will become, that we might see your glory in our lives and that others might come to Jesus through our testimony. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ as open as we worship.